This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today examines dealing with sin in the church, found in Matthew 18, 15 to 20. Together, we will be discussing the importance of spirit-led accountability, forgiveness, and reconciliation within the church. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you again this week to pick up where we left off, to continue our journey through Matthew. Um, And a quick reminder, last week we started working on Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Specifically, we looked at uh, verses 1 through 14. Um, And in this set of verses, we focused on our role in protecting and pursuing uh, what Jesus identified as the little ones. Um, and, and this week, we're going to just continue on in Matthew 18. We're going to uh, look specifically at 15 through 20, so a smaller set of verses uh, for this particular episode. Um, and in association with this, we're going to be exploring Jesus's instruction on addressing sin within the church body. Uh, And so I I believe we have Derek who's going to read for us tonight. So Derek, would you mind reading Matthew 18, 15 to 20? If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen... Tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven." For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. All right. Thank you for reading that, Derek. Um, So uh, let's just, let's jump in. What is standing out to you? What uh, thoughts do you have as we come to this set of verses? One thing that, uh, that came from our table on Sunday, someone mentioned about there not being any aspect of time mentioned in this passage. And, you know, I've always read it as like, it's almost like an instant thing. Like we don't allow the Holy Spirit time to work after we address someone. And so I thought that that was a really good point that was made that, you know, there, there needs to be an aspect of time allowing God to work and not just expect an instant answer. So I I really felt like that was really good observation that was made. I completely agree. I feel like I don't know. And I can speak for Nick and I, and I feel like he'll often come to me and say, Hey, you just responded to our children in this way. And that is that really how Jesus would respond. And in the moment, usually I'm still frustrated and angry with what our children have just done. And now I'm frustrated and angry at my husband because (laughs) he's, you know, calling out and calling me out on something I probably need to be called out on. But in that moment, my response, um, if, if I, if I do not, if my focus is not on Jesus in that exact moment, which more often than not, it's not going to be since I've just 
spoken to my children in a way that's not reflective of Jesus. So then now, now I'm either angry with him or I, you know, express my anger verbally toward him. And I feel like when I then take the time to go back and reflect on and test what he's just brought to my attention, then I realize, oh man, I've really screwed up. And so now I've got a whole list of people that I've got to apologize to, but it, it does, it takes a certain amount of time. Whereas if, you know, he, he walks down the street and grabs you, Derek and Brittany and is like, okay, that's it. She's not, <laughs> she's not on <laughs> She's board. gone and done it now. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> then well, it doesn't give the time for that reflection. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's a, a very good like observation or point. Like I, I'm great at not doing that. In responding, there, there's a, a saying that I heard, I've heard said a lot, like the truth hurts, but you still want to hear it. And that's kind of how this is, but we respond in emotion. And that's something that we talk about a lot is not trying to respond in emotion. Right. And when you don't give time for something like you, you're going to respond in emotion. When I get annoyed because my kids do something like tonight, it was spill apple juice uh, when pouring a cup and I responded in emotion and, and mm. like that, when you respond in emotion, it doesn't just hurt you. It hurts the person that you're responding in that manner to. So uh, giving time and trying to like take a deep breath and allow like the spirit to speak um, can make all the difference in the world. So I feel like what you guys are talking about, this this idea of time and specifically what this is like the verses 15 and, and 16 and then part of 17, like this process that exists, you know, of you go to the person and then grab a, a, somebody else to go with you to this person and then ultimately go before the entire church. You have this process that exists, and I feel like you guys are talking about two sides of that process. Like one is the person going to, the one who needs to be addressed and making sure that if you are the one who is coming to, you know, Natasha was just sharing. So if, if, if I'm the one coming to Natasha, like I need to make sure I give her time before I escalate the situation by bringing a bunch of other people into it. But then the flip side of that is as the person, maybe Natasha, like she also needs to be willing to take the time. So as somebody who has done something that I shouldn't do, if I put myself in her shoes and I'm the one who has said something to my kids in responding out of frustration or emotion, um, and somebody comes to address me about something that I did, I need to take time in my response to what they have said to me. Because if I don't take that time, I'm going to respond out of emotion and probably continue to perpetuate the problem that is being pointed out. Um, I think the, the terminology often used is puff up your chest. And I think that for me, I, I probably do that a lot more than I know I ought to, um, because I don't take the time as the person hearing, instead of heeding what is being said, I go immediately to my defense and try to justify what I have done instead of taking the time to hear and say, okay what is it that I need to be hearing in the midst of this? Yeah. It's this idea of testing, testing every thought, right? Because we, we talk about, you know, how, how we're going to receive, like the Holy spirit speaks through people. That's one of the avenues that he uses. And so 
he's, we should be expecting that he's going to speak through other people and we have to be ready and prepared to test everything because sometimes it will be spot on word from God that needs to be heard. And other times it's, it's probably going to miss it. Um, even within the church, because we're a fallen people and we were, we have examples about that with, with Peter, you know, when he, he misses it and we've talked poor Peter, <laughs> we, we say that, I feel like every episode, poor Peter, <laughs> but test, test every thought. I really, um, you know, before we talked on air, I really uh, appreciated what you said about the, the speck and plank, um, because oftentimes we 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 are so concerned about something else going on in somebody else's heart in somebody else's life, and if we aren't careful when when we respond in that emotion, then we create not only like it's not just this speck that we have to worry about. We have to worry about our own plank because mm. if we're not careful, that pride of our emotion like rears its ugly head, and then then there's more than one problem. There's multiple problems. And so like when you mentioned that, that did kind of resonate with me. That's so true too, even if you're not in the wrong. So like, even if you're approached by somebody about a particular situation that maybe, maybe they have a different perspective that isn't really capturing the whole truth of the matter. And so you've tested it, you, you know, in after time, right. You would, you would test it and you, you could say, no, honestly, like, I don't think that that was like me and Jesus talked and that's not really a sinful action. But like you guys said, if you puff up your chest, right. And you have that pride in that moment now, no, no, no. Now you are like, that is sin, right? Jesus humbled himself in every moment, even in accusation when he wasn't at fault. And that's our model. That's our example. And so I think, I think that's a really good point, um, is that, even just being approached by somebody, even if they're an error, our response, like we are accountable for our response. Right. And this kind of bleeds into a conversation that was held at um, our table on Sunday where uh, somebody immediately after having read the passage, you know, we asked, okay, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? And somebody's just immediate response was, you know, thinking about uh, like this direct application to when I'm at work and something happens at work and I come home and on my way home, you know, my first call is to my spouse or to uh, my my dad or my mom. And I'm venting to them about what happened at my work. Like I, I hear Jesus saying, that's not what I should be doing. What I should be doing is instead of allowing resentment to build by having those conversations, I should be going to the person that I feel wronged by and start having this conversation to address it before that plank begins to develop in my own eye. They didn't say those specific words, but that's exactly what we're talking about here is not allowing Natasha. I believe you said it before we got on air as well, like not allowing sin to have a foothold in our life. Um, And so this dealing with sin in the church, dealing with, um, broken relationship in the church. It's important, not just for the one who has done the act, the sinful act or the breaking act. It's important for the one who has been transgressed against, um, for full reconciliation and full, um, existing as the body to, to perpetuate. Well, even if, you know, 
when you're the person who's been wronged, that's such it's unforgiveness is such a heavy burden to carry. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are, there are horrific things that have happened to people and that they have had to deal with and carrying that burden of unforgiveness destroys them. But then you, you watch and you watch what Jesus can begin to do as he takes that burden from them and helps them to forgive. And the forgiveness really isn't for the per, I mean, it's for the person, right. Who's wronged them, but you see that it's not just for the person who's wronged them. It's also right. for them because it heals them and it restores them. And the reconciliation is is bigger than just the relationship between that person. It makes right. the person who's been transgressed against a whole new person. They're free. They right. found freedom in Christ. And it's, I don't know, it's, I guess, and we're going to move this direction right next week with talking about this forgiveness idea. And it's just, it's a, it's a very freeing thing to let go of the resentment and the hurt and allow Jesus to begin to take that from you and mm-hmm. heal whatever it is that that's that's so difficult to let go of. And really the reconciliation portion continues because even if they are like, oh, what does it say, uh, even if they refuse to, to listen... They're to be treated like a pagan and tax collector. And like we just finished last week talking about the parable of the wandering sheep. And I think like in this frame of reference, like the Luke passage, Luke 15, gives a better idea because in that instance, when that parable comes out, he's actually, you know, meeting with tax collectors and sinners. And so like it helps build a frame of reference. So, but even still, like, it's the example of of reconciliation being lived out just because they didn't want to listen. We'll say it like that. Like just because their flesh didn't want to allow them to listen, it doesn't mean we just cut ties with them. Like we're still so st- like go out in pursuit of the wandering sheep, no matter um, no matter their response. Like we're to some extent, like, I guess to all extent, like we're not responsible for their response. Just like when we react, when something said we're responsible for our response. Mm-hmm. And so our response needs to be, even if they don't want to listen to be pursuing them in whatever context that looks like, whether they s- stay in the church or whether they decide to leave or are, you know, how heaven forbid they'd be forced to leave. But even if that's the case, like we still have to be pursuing them. There's no, like the time doesn't, ex- like there's no time listed there either. Like there's no like time limit. Oh, you can stop pursuing them now. So, I mean, it, that reconciliation portion is, is an important part of, of what Jesus, uh, of what's being said here. I feel like. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think with this is, you know, ver- verse 17, nowhere does it say put them out of the body, right? It says treat them um, as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And we know that Jesus, even if we didn't just have a conversation about the parable of the wandering sheep last week, like we know how Jesus handled pagans and tax collectors. He would eat with them. He would care for them. He would listen to them. He would love them. He would defend them. And ultimately, when we look at 
the different types of people that exist in the gospel, whether it's, you know, the sinners, quote unquote, or the um, Pharisees or the people in the church in, in, in organized religion of the day, it was the tax collectors and sinners that were a whole lot more receptive to Jesus than anybody else. It's like life circumstances had humbled them to such a point that they were receptive to their need yeah. for him. Um, and so I think with, with this idea of, okay, we've gone through this process, right? And the person is not receptive. So now we have to treat them like a tax collector um, or, or uh, a pagan or a tax collector I, the thought that came to me, Derek, while you were talking was within the body, there is the expectation of reciprocal accountability, reciprocal um, investment in each other's life, pursuit into each other's life. When it comes to the conversation with a tax collector and a pagan, there's no expectation of reciprocation. It is simply a one-way street of pouring out love with no expectation of return. My mission is to love, and so I'm going to love. And I can't hold that person to the same standards that I'm held to because they're not pursuing Christ necessarily. And so my standard is different because I am pursuing Christ, and so I don't get to just stop because they are not responding. And so that was the thing that stood out to me. Like it's it's almost like, shoot, if if we are treating somebody like a pagan or tax collector, it's almost like my responsibility to them has just exploded. It hasn't diminished. Right. Well, and we see that over and over and over again with Jesus's interactions, like you said. So like the Canaanite woman, right? So she's a pagan Canaanite woman. And here you have Jesus pursuing her and loving her, even though she's untouchable, even though she's unclean, even though nobody else would want to see her or be associated with her in any way. You see this with the tax collectors and the direction. I mean, like he surrounds himself with tax collectors, <laughs> you know? I mean, like that, that's, those are the people on which he's going to, well, I mean, not Peter, but you know, those are the, those are the 12, you know, are among, are among that group of people. And so Jesus uses them to to change the world. And mm. it's because of his willingness to love. Right. And so I think for us that are in the church, it, I mean, we have certain eyes for people that we think, Oh, like these people are going to be really, really good for the church. They're going to be a really, really good asset for building the kingdom. But I mean, the people that Jesus selected didn't look so good on paper. Like their resume was not, you know, knocking it out of the park, but they, I mean, they did, they, they changed the world. Right. And so I think we need, this comes back to this conversation of having Jesus eyes or Jesus glasses or Jesus filter. Oh, Jesus filter. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We talked about love goggles before. So I yeah, just, that's true. Um, so having, having this perspective of people and having Jesus's perspective of people I think is is a huge part of this conversation of dealing with with this issue of sin, both people who have chosen away from the church and those who have never even experienced it. And, and I, 
I mean, I think I may have said this earlier, but I appreciate that there's no limit on here mm-hmm. to how how long, how much, how many times that you keep like loving on and pouring on into like the right. pagan and tax collector. Because I have heard people say, well, like, when do I stop? Mm-hmm. And Nick, I heard your dad say it. I think it was in a staff meeting once. Like, like you don't. Like there, right. there is no limit. You don't stop. Like, you know, we have, it's, it's kind of like the, the conversation last week where, um, about the, the children and, and like not seeing value in someone like maybe the tax collector and center don't have anything in, in human eyes to add, but they're still equally as important as the person who is sitting there. Mm-hmm. And and it has the ability to hold another accountable. They're no different in Jesus's eyes, and that's that's why there is no time, no limit, no amount of times that you keep pouring in, and keep pouring in, and keep pouring in. Because maybe maybe it doesn't work four hundred and ninety nine times, but you know what? Maybe that fifth, like five hundredth time, like God does something amazing. And you know what? For me, I would hate to miss that time when God moves in that person's life. Because there's more rejoicing in heaven over that one lost being found right. than everybody else that's sitting there. And so I think that that's, you know, God's good about putting words together, obviously way better than we are. So I think the, the piece kind of before we move into like the second half of this passage that I would like to maybe, I don't know, make a note of or just make a a statement about is I recognize, and I think all of us around this table recognize the damage that has been done in people's lives when people have come to a passage like this and misused it and misrepresented it. And so we recognize the delicate nature of the conversation that we are having and how um, difficult it can be to talk about discipline. But it is an important part of who we are as the body of Christ. It is an important part of who we are as what he has empowered us to be and to participate in in each other's lives. It's already been kind of drawn out there about how you know within the body there is an element of reciprocal accountability that exists, a huge element of that. And so this conversation, though it may bring up unsettled feelings within people because of how it has been misused previously, we as a people of Christ who are passionately pursuing him cannot shy away from these conversations. We have to be open and patient and willing to have them, to hear them, to allow them to speak truth into us, and then to respond. And so with that, let's, let's just continue on um, into the, the, the next couple of verses that we have here. Can I, can I say one thing before we Let's we not go? continue on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, one thing, I guess we never really touched on it, but, you know, uh, accountability is not fun. Most no. people don't like accountability. Like, I don't want to be held accountable, and I don't want anybody to hold me accountable. And one thing that I feel like that has lacked is the willingness of people when God speaks something to them to go to another and mm-hmm. say, hey, 
Like it's it's like it's no different than the one who's doing like it's sinful. If God tells us to do something and we don't do it, that's sin. It's no mm. different than the one who has done something wrong. And so it's not fun to hold people accountable. I don't like holding my kids accountable. But like if I don't, like who's going to do it? Jonah yeah. ran from it. Right. Right. And so we like I think that's one thing that like maybe needs to be said. Like it's not fun. Nobody likes to do it. Mm. We don't like to do it to our own kids. But if God says it and we don't do it, it's sin. Well, I think it goes back to what we were talking about last week and um, the beginning of chapter 18, where it talks about the little ones and letting them go and those who like lead them astray. If we are not holding people accountable, we're leading people astray. Hmm. Um, I think I'm I'm a manager. And I think if I see a behavior and I do not correct the behavior, that is permissive disobedience. I'm allowing them to do something they're not supposed to because I'm not willing to do what mm. I'm supposed to. Um, so I think I think we're going to be held accountable for not holding people accountable. Mm. And it's not fun. No. I'm going to do it today. Not right now. <laughs> well, and I think hair, like holding all of this, like this idea of what it means to be a good manager in, um, in conjunction with what you were just talking about a moment ago, Nick, I feel like, this is why it's so, so important for us as the body to be connected to our head, which is Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, Because again, we go back to this idea of this importance of listening. You, we have to be listening. We have to be listening to Jesus before a word comes out of our mouth. We have to be listening to Jesus every time a word comes into our mind um, from someone else. And so I think again, this back to this idea of living vertizontally, you can't expect to have a God honoring moment of accountability. If you're not in continual conversation throughout that conversation, after that conversation, before that conversation with Jesus, Hmm. it just, it's not going to work. And furthermore, you can't be the person who's being confronted enter into a conversation without also being in conversation with Jesus and have that come out well. And so as the body, we've been called to submit to our head, which is Christ. And so that's what makes us of one mind because we have one head. And so if there's one part of the body that's saying, Hey, the head is alerting me to this. We probably, you know, we, we have to talk to Jesus about that thing irregardless of what our personal opinions are about it. And I mean, the person approaching, same same sort of thing. So I, I just think this really, really emphasizes the idea of continu- just living in continual prayer. We mm. have to be living in continual conversation with Jesus. Yeah, that really would change the way people respond if both both sides are doing that, living that conversation out before Jesus, that prayer out before Jesus, because you're going to respond differently if somebody comes to you and you're like, you know, it's easier to, in that frame of reference, it's easier to be like, you know what, you're right. I'm sensing that. And you're right. Man, what a, how different it would be if that's how we lived. Well, and it would be so much easier too. You're talking, Nick, you were talking about these bad situations where people have had, I mean, in almost every one of them, I feel like I've, um, heard 
um, or been, I guess, a part of, I feel like there's this missing element of continue, like at some point people get their rights, their opinions, their, like the way that we do things, like all these things get mixed into it, but it's really not about that. It's about what it is that Jesus wants you to do in that moment. And I think that's where community is important because in, in community, I know Derek is doing his best to follow the Lord. And if I know that about him and he comes to me and, you know, is confronting me about something, I know that about him. So I have to be willing to listen and accept that because we have that, I have that knowledge of him. And if you don't have that knowledge of somebody, it's a little harder. Mm. If I don't know where you're coming from, if I don't know what your intention is, because I've not gotten to know you in that way, it's, it is harder. You know, I was this last week, I was reading Acts 2 and I think this is the importance at the end of Acts 2, it talks about what the early church looked like right? and how they, they worship together daily. They broke bread together regularly. Like, I mean, you have, like, we have got to be functioning like a body to function in this way that, that Jesus has intended for us, which means we have to be doing life together regular, more than once a week, more than probably twice a week, more than probably three times a week. I mean, you, we have got to be living in, in this community, Brittany, that you're sharing, because when that's the case, then we know that like, if Derek approaches me, I know that he's not doing it to shame me because here we've sat on this podcast and we've talked about the importance of not shaming. And so even if Derek's words come off as shaming, I know that it's Derek's heart not to shame. And so it's, I, I feel like this, this is the struggle is these conversations have to be have, being had all along the way in the body of Christ, because if they are not, then Satan will use any little piece that we, or any little crevice that we use or leave right. open right. and he'll, he'll go in and he'll, he'll explode it and it, it will just tear apart a church, um, and I'm by a church, I mean, you know, a particular congregation, a particular area. And I feel like all of us can think of instances where this has happened and we've seen it and it's tragic um, because it's not, it's not, it doesn't look like the kingdom. Right. And most of the people, unfortunately, because, because they're so, because the community of Christ is such a vulnerable place to be, some of those wounds for some people they never fully heal. I think what you guys have been talking about for the last couple of minutes, the the word that keeps coming to my mind is in community, at, as a being a part of the body of Christ, there is an element of trust that exists, that develops and exists between us. You know, I trust that you, Brittany, just verbalized it about Derek. She trusts that he is pursuing Christ as they've been in community together and vice versa. And, you know, when we journey together, we can trust those things. And so trust is important as we hold each other accountable. But I also think that, you know, trust is an important element in this next part of the conversation that comes up in verse 18, um, where it talks about binding and loosing in heaven and earth. They're, they're, when I read this, it almost makes me uncomfortable to say it, but I hear Jesus saying, I, Jesus, am putting trust in you, my body, to represent me 
and my justice and my mercy and my love and my peace and my kingdom. And so these potentially confrontational conversations, these moments of discipline in the church where we are addressing broken relationship or sin, Jesus is saying that he is he is giving that trust, that authority to address those things. I think that's why it's important to have that horizontal 100% relationship. It's a big responsibility. Terrifying. <laughs> when I think it's definitely consistent with other places in scripture immediately as you were talking about that, I all I could think was Paul and how he refers to us as the amba- we are ambassadors right. for Christ. Um, it's consistent with this analogy of body that we have going on um, in our conversation about, you know, like we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are going to be one of the primary ways in which he interacts in the world today. We are the incarnate Christ. Um, and so we're going to function in that in that capacity. And so we have responsibility associated with that. Trust that he has placed and responsibility that we have to act in accordance with that trust as if, as if you needed more motivation, but it's, you know, when you choose to be a Christ follower, that, that authority that's given to you, that responsibility that's given to you is, is just another motivation to be in continual pursuit of him. Like, how can I know Jesus better? How can I know his heart better? How can I spend more time with him so I can understand what he thinks and what he desires and what, you know, all of these, all of these things, how can I be more like Jesus? Because if I'm going to be functioning as Jesus in the world of people around me, I sure better look like the real thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And if we're his disciples and we're trying to help make other disciples, the way that we respond, uh, acting in that trust that he's given us, the way we respond with those that we confront with whatever's going on in their heart and their life, if that doesn't look like Jesus, people are going to notice that. Like the people that are part of the body are going to notice that. And if we're not representing Jesus in a manner that shows his compassion, his love, his humility, his grace and mercy, then why would somebody want to be a part? So if you correct your kid and, and, in a, in a manner that doesn't look, and you have more than one kid, right? If you correct your child in a manner that doesn't represent Christ, how do you think the other kids are going to feel? Hmm. They're going to feel like, man, if I mess up, is this what go- what's going to happen to me? Is this going to be the response if I do something wrong? Why would I want to be a part? I'm going to run. Mm-hmm. And so if we're not careful, like how we respond to people... When we do have an issue, when we do have conflict, our response matters because there are other people that are affected because we, we already know we're a body. It's not one part, we're many. And so we have to like, that's another like aspect of even accountability in how we hold others accountable. Yeah. Because if we're not careful, we're going to make other people be like, that's it, I'm out. Like if that's how you're going to respond to me when I mess up, I want no part which then this goes back into what Brittany brought up earlier, but in, instead of a passive sense, it's the active sense now of causing a little one to stumble um, by my reaction. Earlier it was by our inaction, but now with what you're saying, it's by our action. 
Oh, so it's even more important. <laughs> we are, I'm going to say it again, living, living birds of yeah. Well, yeah, because he's put a lot of trust in us to not blow it. Mm. Knowing that we, on our own, will blow it. It's so it's it's funny that in it's like Jesus is kind of um, slowly giving this responsibility. So first he gives this uh, responsibility to Peter in mm-hmm. sixteen, and now he's giving it to the rest of the disciples in eighteen. Like, okay, let's see how Peter handles this, and you know things like that. And now it's like, okay, now the 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 bigger responsibility, the entire church, you all are responsible for this. Well, and okay, sorry, you saying that also just like ding ding in my mind went off a couple weeks back we talked about jesus predicting his death a second time and the disciples response now was grief they were starting Mm -hmm. to understand okay there's this weight on our shoulders now because there's going to come a time when he's gone and now like the ball is going to be in our court and we've got to do something with this and so with that realization now comes jesus's continued explanation of this is the trust i'm putting in you because of my impending death and and me no longer walking with you as we I am right now, I am placing this trust in you, this expectation in you to continue to represent me. And these are th- these are some of the ways that that will look. And undertones of like the fact that they have to fully rely on him. Mm-hmm. Like they're all along the way, there's these undertones without him coming on, uh, coming out and saying it. Like you have to, if you want to be able to do this, like if you want to live this kingdom out on earth, like you're gonna have to rely on me to be able to fulfill those. Well, rely on me, and then also on each other. Yeah. Because as we move into verses 19 and 20, it talks about the importance of being of this one mind, mm-hmm. um, collectively, and you can know that if we are of one mind and we are rooted in Christ, then there Christ is present manifest right there in, in, in whatever the action mm-hmm. is that's being taken toward reconciliation. And talking about this idea of there Christ is also when I think about what the presence of, of God represents, we're in the old Testament a lot right now. And there's this idea that exists that or a theme that I keep seeing of like God's presence is an affirmation of what that person is doing, that that person is walking in line with what he desires. And when somebody steps out of line, his presence departs. And so when I think about that, it's not this, this whole like two verses right here that talk about the presence of Jesus. I think I've always heard them as, Oh, the presence of Jesus is there. Yay. Like, this is good. Not like yay as in it's not a big deal. That, that, that is a big deal that the presence of Jesus is there. But like, ah, this makes me feel good. But when I hold it in connection with some of the Old Testament understandings of the presence of God, it makes me get even more excited because... It's not just his peace that's there. It's his affirmation that's there. Exactly. Yes. It's the presence represents an affirmation of what is going on. So as we're talking about, I mean, bringing this kind of full circle to this conversation on discipline that exists within the church, when we come together as his body and we represent him well, there he is affirming 
the representation. And so there can be confidence in that and assurance in that, which as you said earlier, Derek, you know, accountability is a difficult thing. Like it's not fun to be held accountable and it's also not fun to hold others accountable. And yet in this process of accountability, when we are pursuing Jesus, listening to Jesus and living in line with that, with others, there Jesus is affirming what we are doing. So even though accountability, holding people accountable can be difficult, there he is. Well, it's because like in our human like frame of mind, like accountability is not held to that same, like the same way that God intended it. Like God intends us to be corrected so that we can become more like Christ. But in our frame of mind, like accountability means you've done something wrong. When and there there seems to be like love removed from that. So mm. when love's removed from accountability, it's just, you know, punishment in a sense. And so Jesus is trying this is like his his way of trying to prevent judgment that brings death. Mm. And if we view it as that, if we're always holding it in that frame of context, like that it's it's to help help grow you, help, I don't know, help life come or continue to come. Um, instead of like, in, a, in my mind, I think of correction as, as punishment, not as, you know, and that's, I mean, unfortunately, that's just the way kind of we're, we're trained in our context. You know, you get corrected. Um, I don't know. So it's just what comes to mind. I think this makes me go back to one of the times we were answering the question about who do you say that I am? And Nick, you wrestled with this issue of God being admonisher. And, but that's the reality of it because he wants that none should perish. Mm -hmm. And so if his motivation is that I don't perish, if my motivation in in like, um, not in the accountability in the accountability process is that none should perish then then that's love but oftentimes within the context of the church people have been hurt because it hasn't always been done in love i mean i know we know people who have been devastated you talked about wounds that may never heal or or take a great deal of time to heal. And when you don't, when you don't approach it that way, un- unfortunately that, that can easily like move in. And so I think it's so important to recognize that it's, it's meant accountability is meant to bring life and, and to prevent judgment. I mean, I, Yes, bring life, but I almost want to say like it's it is his will that none should perish. But so like it comes to prevent the judgment that we deserve. Just like Jesus going to the cross was a way to prevent the death that we deserve. And so uh, if I if I view it every time like that, I'm not going to come to someone with a condemning attitude. And I'm not going to perceive it as condemning because I recognize you as my advocate because you're just trying to spare me judgment.
Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.